we were going in there on a Thanksgiving day and a artic- a writer from the Sun Tatler uh, at that time uh, wrote an article saying that we were going to be Thanksgiving dinner for the Cardinals because they had all the superstars and, um, and they named off Jim Hart, uh, Terry Metcalf, J.B. Kane, uh, Conrad Dobler, you know, um, I mean, you name it. And the Dolphins only had Shula, as if we didn't have any stars. Of course, when we read the article, we were all pissed. You know, with thinking, uh, thinking on that team, you got Bob Greasy, you got Jim Langer, you got Larry Little, all Hall of Famers. Okay. Um, um, I was on that team, Daryl Harris, and they gave us no chance to win. Or this writer gave us no chance to win. We had Bob Kuchenberg, should have been a Hall of Famer. The next morning, he wrote a, a worse article, and the guy actually traveled on the team plane with us. So Their writer did? Huh? Their? The writer did in those days, yeah. Okay. And Cooch was so angry. I mean, the next morning, you could hear a pen drop. It was, it was so silent because Sheila never defended us. So we were just pissed. We went out and beat the dog crap out. We had a big old brawl. We won the fight. 23 guys got fined. Uh, <laughs> but after the game was over with, we're celebrating, and Coach gives his speech. And uh, The first guy through the door was Ed Playstead, the writer. And Coach got him and drug him all the way through the locker room, threw him in the shower and turned the water off. <laughs> I think this day, that's the reason that Ed Polk fell out of love with him and he never made it to the Hall of Fame. Back to throw, looking, deep padded, downfield, touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we changed it up a little bit there. Nat told me that great story off the top of today's flashback podcast, so I thought, let's go ahead and run that thing first and then circle back to the conversation. So if you skipped ahead in the podcast, go back to the beginning and check out Nat Moore's story about the writer that gave the Dolphins no chance to win on Thanksgiving Day over the then St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to talk to Nat more about that game here on Flashback. We're going to welcome in Seth and OJ as we do on Fridays. We'll get you the latest injury report for Dolphins Cardinals and hear John Kinjemi's three takeaways. All of that here on this Friday, November the 6th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation, where Dolphins fans drive pink and helped raise over $25 million for cancer treatment and research. Where every vehicle is sold and serviced is sanitized. Keep driving safe at AutoNation.com. And we have plenty of content up on MiamiDolphins.com as we do daily and weekly. We had my Week 9 preview published on Thursday morning. We had John Kinjemi's Three Keys to the Game published on Thursday afternoon. And if you guys did not check out the special teams feature this week, I urge you to do so. The third phase of the game, so important here in Miami, and the Dolphins getting after it with so many contributors to that Dolphins special teams unit. Go check that out. The third Football's third phase, the kicking game. So check that out, MiamiDolphins.com. As for John Kinjemi's three keys to the game for the fourth consecutive win the Dolphins are going for on Sunday in Arizona. Number one, where else would it start? Contain Kyler Murray. The Dolphins defense 
had their best performance of the season on Sunday, according to John. They were able to create points, multiple turnovers, sacks, and hits on Rams quarterback Jared Goff. The big question coming into this week, John writes, is can they replicate or even come close to that level of efficiency facing arguably the best dual threat quarterback in the National Football League in Kyler Murray? John writes about Murray's ability to extend plays that sometimes look impossible. He makes them seem routine because of his quickness and foot speed. And this is me talking now. Murray is so easy glide on those feet the way he bounces around the pocket. John continues to write more about that. His 437 rushing yards and seven touchdowns this season. He is a lot. Key number two here for John Kinjemi, stars need to shine. This contest is filled with some of the best of the best on offense and defense for both teams. Matchups like DeAndre Hopkins up against Xavier Howard or Byron Jones or Devontae Parker and Preston Williams trying to gain the upper hand against Patrick Peterson over there in Arizona. This is a week that Miami's best need to win their one-on-one matchups to come out with a huge road win. And number three for John Kajemi's three keys to the game, Dolphins at Cardinals 425 on Sunday Eastern time. Create early offensive momentum. It's fun to play the position of quarterback when things are going smooth. John writes that no matter what the call is, your guys are executing with consistency and you have the ability to keep defenses guessing. If quarterback Tua Tungavailoa can come close to having a start that resembles what John described here, it should be a great day for him and the offense. So John Kajemi's three keys to the game. You can read the rest of those up on MiamiDolphins.com again, as well as all the other content we have for you guys up on the website. MiamiDolphins.com. And with that, let's go ahead and get to the rest, or I guess the entirety of my interview with former Dolphins receiver, Dolphins Ring of Honor member, Nat Moore. If you skipped ahead in the podcast, go back and check out the beginning. We had Nat Moore's story about that brawl that day there in Arizona and the subsequent throwing of a rider into the shower and turning the water on in the locker room. So check that out. And for now, let's go ahead and roll this interview here with former Dolphins receiver, Nat Moore. I just started recording that, Nat, because you can't top that story right there. So I think we're just going to go ahead and jump right in. I was going to do my whole welcome in and welcome to the podcast, but we're already in it. So let's go ahead and and give a big warm welcome to legendary Dolphins receiver, member of the Ring of Honor, spent 13 years here in Miami, caught 510 passes, 7,546 yards. And Nat, you can stop me at any time here. 74 touchdown passes. Nat, how you doing, man? Welcome into drive time. Well, it is, it is um, doing okay. You know, it's always fun to go back and relive the day, uh, especially some of the good times. Uh, and 1977 uh, was a great time for me. Yeah, well, I, I kind of want to just pick it right back up there with what you talked about with the story. So, obviously, 1977 and 2020 might as well be different universes, right, as far as the oh, yeah. way things are just approached and handled and curated every single aspect of life then is pretty much different than how it is now. So if that happened now, Kuchenberg would never play it down in the league again. It would be a national story. It would be something that probably dominated NFL headlines for the rest of that season and and for years to come, I would imagine. So at that time, how was that handled? Did it even become public knowledge? Did did folks kind of say, well, yeah, he deserved it. Like what was the, the, the aftermath of that event? Well, I I think, I think the aftermath was really, just something that happened because of uh, the way the game had been played, you know, how volatile the game was in those days and, you know, how much we expected from our own media as far as, hey, we just want a big ball game. And here's a guy that religiously never gave us any uh, 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 props, never felt we can do anything. But 
by the same token, this was a team that had been to three straight Super Bowls and had an off year in 76 with a lot of people getting hurt. But here we are back in 77, and, you know, we're, we're playing to be uh, to win our division. We got a chance to, to win it all, and, and that was the year – I think that we we lost two games to Baltimore, who was in our division at the time, and there was no wild card, so they went to the playoffs because they had the head-to-head competition. Um, so pretty much the fans, the players, and, and everybody else looked at it. It was all about the game, you know, and, and, and guys were rough. Guys were physical. I mean, uh, guys would, uh, wouldn't even get a paycheck if they were playing today, you know, with the things they used to do. So, I mean, it, it's... It's it's it was it was what the time was, and the most amazing thing was everybody expected them to be the offensive juggernaut, and we were. You know, Greasy threw six touchdown passes that day. Uh, I was fortunate enough to catch three of them, but you know, we spreaded the ball around. I mean, you know, think about it. I caught three touchdowns that day, but I only had six receptions and sixty-eight um, yards too have to throw the football to win. You know, we had great running backs, uh, the tight ends, Andre Tillman, those guys were included. I mean, so it was, it was a different time in a different way. And we felt we had the best offensive line in football. They felt they had the best offensive line in football. And basically we showed them who was superior on Thanksgiving day. So there's two topics you mentioned there. I want to kind of branch off on either of them. Let's go ahead and start here with where you mentioned that this perception that the Dolphins enter this game with no chance to win, right? And obviously that did something to fuel a fire in you guys. But both teams entered the game at 7-4. and four. Like, I mean, is that part of the perception why you guys thought that this is kind of some bullshit that we are being regarded as this less than, this also-ran team? Or was it because of the past, like the past success the Dolphins had had? Why did you guys really find that that comment to be so like, that's not accurate. Well, because we know how good we are. I mean, hell, we, we had, how many Hall of Famers were on right. that team? Yeah. And for them to say we had nobody but Shula, uh, the fact that, um, you know, if, uh, if you recollect that year, I led the league in scoring. We, you know, we threw the ball a little bit more, and, and, and uh, I think I had t- 13 touchdowns that year. So it wasn't that we couldn't put up a whole bunch of points offensively. It was that we played as a unit, you know, and, and, and what's so good about it. And, and I look back to this past week's win with Tua getting his first shot, the way the defense played, the way special teams played, and even the offense made the plays that were necessary. Uh, you know, that's what we were. We were a team, and it wasn't about ego. It was about doing what was needed to win games to get back to the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's the the formula to win football games, not just now, but like you mentioned back then, right? Like the offense, if you have an 18-point lead in the second half, for instance, you want to convert first downs and, and bleed clock and make the job easier on your defense and, and special right. teams as well. So, I mean, that complementary style of football, that's been the formula since, you know, since I was born, since I can remember, since back in your days too. So, I mean, it's, it's funny the way that works out. But I wanted to ask you, Nat, and we'll get to the second part of this question here in just one second. I was curious because I looked at the schedule that year and you guys had a tough loss the previous week in Cincinnati was that one of those things where like because nowadays we talk about the difference between football then and now nowadays you lose a game the sky is falling everybody gets fired or should be fired the players all have to be replaced but then you win the following (laughs) week and you're going to the Super Bowl it's it's this 
insane roller coaster of emotion that I don't think is matched anywhere else in life but on the football field. Was it the same way back then, too? No, no, well, not for us because we, we were a veteran squad. We, we had a lot of veterans on that football team, and, and we realized that it's a long season. And, uh, you know, if you just keep, you, you keep putting in the wins, you know, you're going to have some, uh, some bumps in the road. But if you continue to play hard, et cetera, et cetera, by the end of the year, all that comes together, and you've got a shot to get in the playoffs. Once you get in the playoffs, it's a whole new ball game. It doesn't matter what your record is once you get to the playoffs. So the, the concept was getting back into the playoffs. And you certainly did your part that day. You mentioned the six-touchdown pass from, from uh, Bob Greasy. I, I wanted to get your take on the, maybe the game plan or maybe the approach or, or possibly even the surprise at the end of the day that you, you did get six touchdown passes from him because – that season, he had 22 touchdown passes total, and that was a career high. So we're not talking about, again, modern-day football where you throw four or five touchdowns every single Sunday and call it a day. It was a different era back then. So to throw six touchdown passes in a game, that's like the equivalent of throwing nine or ten today, right? So what was was the game plan based around that? Did that just kind of happen? How did you get to six touchdown passes in that game? Well, here's, here's the true irony. You know, you talk about game plan, et cetera. Bob Greasy did his own game plan. He, you know, he called his own plays. And, and, and the one thing that he was very astute at was taking advantage of what the defense gives. And, of course, being that we like to run the football, even though we threw it on third down and et cetera, um, they, they wanted to stop the run. And, of course, Bob would come up, see, see what, what they're trying to do to us, and he'd check to whatever he thought was the best play at that time. You know, he wasn't a guy that was looking to throw the ball 25, 30 times a game. But if necessary, he knew he could because he had talent outside. He had uh, uh, tight ends that can play. He had backs that can come out of the backfield and catch the football. But we also believed that we had the best offensive line in football with Larry Little and Bob Kuchenberg, two great pulling guards, Jim Langer, Noam Evans, uh, Wayne Moore. We could do all those things still that they had done in the early 70s that led to championships. And and when we're running the football, controlling the football, like you say, it keeps our defense off the field. And even to a point where, you know, uh, St. Louis was known to have this dirty player, Conrad Ro- uh, Dobler, excuse me, that would always do, eth- do things illegal. And at one point it got a little uh, out of hand. And Bob Matheson, who was uh, uh, one of our linebackers, you know, when you think of the 53 defense that was invented by the Miami Dolphins back in the day when Bob Matheson, number 53, came in and one of the defensive linemen came out where we would go with a 3-4. And Matheson got cheap shotted and he grabbed his, his headgear and, and the fight was on. And both benches emptied and, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a fun day. It felt like... Uh, being back in high school where you can get away with that stuff. <laughs> did but, you did you get involved uh, in that? on Monday when we got the fines, we realized yeah. we didn't get away with it. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, right? Were, were you oh, yeah. were you involved? Like how what was your involvement in that brawl in that fight? Uh, of course I was involved. I mean, you know, those things sort of galvanize you as a team. Yeah. You know, all you want to know is who didn't go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, standing up for each other. And, and that brings teams closer together. Sometimes just those little things, even though you hate to see it happen, sort of bring you together and, and, and where everybody has everybody's back. And uh, 
I can tell you this here, after everything that happened that week, being a short week, being it's a Thursday game for Thanksgiving, the ride home was so much fun. Yeah. Um, I, I must say that, um, you know, in those days, we can have all the beer we want. <laughs> there was a lot of beer consumed that night. <laughs> Well, rightfully so. That's how you celebrate a big victory, especially on a holiday, short week. You have the long weekend ahead of you as well. And, you know, Matt, now I played up growing baseball and there was, we had a, we had a philosophy every year of my life in baseball. If, if we come out of the dugout because the pitcher plunks one of our guys and he charges, whatever happens, if you're the last guy out of the dugout, you're running foul poles the entire next practice because you're, we're not going to stand for that shit. You're not going to be the last one on the dugout to come support your teammates. So it was a race to get out there if that ever happened. So, so that's the great thing about sports, right? That brotherhood that brings everybody together. You can't talk. Right, about it. right. But so I, I'm curious about the, the brawl from your aspect because we don't want you out there throwing punches, Nat, because like you mentioned, you led the NFL in touchdown catches that year. How important was it to you to, to lead the league in stats individually and to kind of have your name etched atop the leaderboard there? You know, that never really mattered to me. You know, I had the greatest mentor, um, I would say, in the game of football, uh, especially as a wide receiver. And his name was Paul Warfield. You know, Paul Warfield was is the only Hall of Famer, I think, that averaged over 20 yards a catch. And every fifth time he touched the football, it averaged out to a touchdown. And uh, as a rookie... He was that guy that made me understand that, that the game was bigger than me. It was what can I do to help my team and that if I wanted to be one of those guys with big numbers and scoring a lot of touchdowns, et cetera, uh, I was in the wrong place. But if I wanted to play at home and be remembered for doing things to help a team win, that this was the right place for me and this is the things you need to do. And, and most of it was about being unselfish and being selfless. And, uh, you know, I mean, I led the league in scoring in 77. The next year, they asked me to block linebackers. But you know what? Me blocking linebackers and doing what uh, Coach Shula was asking me to do for the team, we were back in the playoffs year after year after year. So, I mean, it's, to me, that's what it's all about. And having that year, all it did was show people that if asked to, I could put the ball in the end zone uh, if I touched it or not. So, well, no big deal. Yeah, and, and that mindset is why you're in the Dolphins Ring of Honor. That's why I ran into you the other day doing a promo for our social media, right? Like, you're, you're still part of this community, part of this tight-knit Dolphins alumni that's so special down here in South Florida. It's, it's really cool to get a chance to see, you know, all the legendary players this franchise has had come together and still be part of the organization. Now, we talk about complimentary football, the ability to, to have multiple ways to win games, the mark, the sign of a great team, in my opinion. I'm sure yours as well. And I think it's a good transition there to talk about shoeless teams in those days because, again, you went back to the Super Bowls, the three consecutive appearances. Those teams ran the football. 1977, you're an all-pro now. You lead the league in touchdowns that year. Do you think that maybe this game or the idea that I can get six touchdown passes out of my quarterback, I know you, you transitioned next year back into more of a blocker like you mentioned, but do you think that game might have planted a bug in Shula's ear to say, hey, wait a minute, we can maybe revolutionize things here in a couple of years if I get the right quarterback and get these receivers more involved? I'm talking about Marino, of course. I, I, I think, you know, the one thing about Coach Shula um, is he always adapted to his personnel and the people he had. So I don't think until Dan came around that he felt like it was a great opportunity to throw the football. 
And then also remember, not 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 um, how would I say, it? not knocking Coach Shula or or anybody. Up until Bob Greasy retired, he was the offensive coordinator per se, as far as what went on on the field offensively. He called the plays. He he made the decisions. Uh, and you know, Coach Shula had so much confidence in him, just like. Earl Morrill and Don Strock when he was on the field, these guys called their own plays. So they were students of the game. And, you know, everybody sort of rallied around those guys because they knew that they, they were going to do what was best for the team to win. I mean, even when we went to Super Bowl in 1982, when David Woodley was on the field because he didn't have the experience and the knowledge that Don Strock had, Coach Shula called all the plays. And then when, when if we weren't winning – and he wanted to make a quarterback change. In came Don Strock, and Strock called his own plays. And as you know, when Dan first came in, Coach Shula called the plays uh, and sent him in. Dan changed some of them. But as Dan progressed and got better and better and knew what he was doing, um, he never called the play they sent in. You know, I mean, it was like, this is what I think we're better at, and this is what we're going to do. And Coach Shula was fine with it. I mean, that shows you uh, the confidence and the great leadership of allowing guys to do what is best of what they think the team can do best versus, well, you know, we're known to do this, so we're only going to do this. You know, you had done the 1985 Monday Night Bears game with me the summer on drive time on the flashback, and you talked yeah. about the game plan that Shula had for Marino that night and the quick passing to beat the 46 defense. Throw it where the, where the defender vacates, and you again had a big night in that game as well. So it's cool to hear your perspective, Nat, on the evolution of, of offensive of play calling and the quarterback's responsibility in that way. I think this is one of the benefits of these flashback podcasts. We can get that perspective you know, from, from an era you know, years and years ago. But in this particular game we're talking about, 1977, you finished the season 10-4, and four, but it wasn't good enough for the playoffs. And then you finish up the next season, they expand the schedule to play 16 games, and 11-5 and five is good enough. So my question to you is, do you think if you had two more games in 1977, you guys would have gotten in the postseason? Well, it still would have depended on what happened with the Baltimore Colts. Sure. Colts because, once again, they beat us twice. So if we win two more games, they win two more games, there's no, no wild card. They still got the... You know, the, the, the uh, uh, what would I call it? The, uh, the, the deciding factor because they beat us twice, right? right? In, and it's still about what you do with the opportunities given. We played them twice. We had an opportunity and we just weren't good enough on those days. So, you know, you go home, you figure out how you're going to get better. How are you going to get better next year? And that's when Coach Shula decided that we were going to trade for Delvin Williams we sent Freddie Solomon, who was a phenomenal, phenomenal player, uh, to the to the um, 49ers. So we picked up Delvin Williams. And the next year, we were running flow 38 back. We get back to the running game. We were protecting our defense while controlling the clock. And the next thing you know, we're back in the playoffs each and every year. So, I mean, to me, that's what it's that, – that really is what it comes down to in the end is, you know, what – What's best for the team? And, you know, in the end, is it is it scoring 50, 60 points and losing? Or is it scoring 13 points and winning? I'd like to say it's all about the win for me. 
Yeah, perfectly said. I go back to another quote from the team this year. Josh Boyer at his press conference this week said that last time I checked, they don't give you points for yardage. So it's all about the scoreboard at the end of the day. Whoever has the most points wins. I mean, John Madden said it best, right? That the scoreboard tells the story. We've got legendary yep. Dolphins receiver here, Nat Moore, on the Drive Time Podcast. I have one more question for you, Nat. Six touchdown passes for Bob Greasy, three from you that day, kind of helped spark your lead in the NFL that year for touchdown catches. Was that the most memorable game for you? And if not, which one was it? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, in, in football, there's always the ups and downs, you know. Um, you know, I had three touchdowns there. I had three against um, the uh, 49ers one year. But I think for me, the biggest game is always when people doubt you. And, um, you know, my best game, I feel, was not the Bears. Uh, it was it was against the Jets. I mean, there's something about playing the Jets. And once again, uh, there was a writer, and I ain't going to call his name, um, that wrote an article because the year before we, the strike-shortened season, when we went to Super Bowl in 1982, I was asked to do a lot of different things other than catch footballs or score touchdowns. And I didn't catch any balls. I caught, I think I caught eight balls that year. And this, this writer, uh, as we're into the following year in 83, um, made the mistake and, uh, wrote an article on Saturday saying that my career was coming to an end, it, it was end demise. Um, I was coming off a bad year, um, you know, only caught eight balls. And what he didn't realize is that with the new system that we were playing, most of the time I wasn't in the, on, even on the field when they were throwing the ball because we were sharing time with Jimmy Cephalo, Daryl Harris, and myself. And being a team player, you know, I never made any, any stink of it. But that same Sunday, that same, I mean, the next day, uh, David Woodley gets hurt. Don Schrock comes in the game. He's calling the Don plays. I'm still only playing first and second down. And Don's calling the plays, and he's airing it out. And I go seven catches, 210 yards, and two touchdowns. And now the same writer has to retract. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just something about when guys that have no clue what the team concept and sure. what we're being asked to do write something negative uh, that uh, that really sticks in your claw. Did, did he at least come to your locker afterwards and, and, and talk to you about it? No, we've talked about it, and, and he's like, no, 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 no. I go, hey, it's no problem. I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things where you, you, you felt the need and you wanted to get a jump on my funeral. Yep. <laughs> no problem. But I'm the only one to say when my career is over with. And um, as you as you look from that point on, uh, my career was still going in an upward way because uh, '83 is also the year that Don Schrock, I mean that uh, Marino comes in, and um, you know the next four years with Dan at the helm, um, I still score about 20 touchdowns and I'm the third receiver. So you know it's all about what you do to help an organization win. He is Nat Moore, Dolphins Ring of Honor, over 500 catches, 7,500 yards, and 74 touchdowns. Nat, we appreciate your time today, sir, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. And out one door goes Nat Moore, and in the other comes the fellows from the Fish Tank podcast, Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie. We, guys, we got a lot to talk about here on this podcast. How are you guys doing today? 
Doing great, Travis. It's great to be here. And Juice, once again, Nat's going to remind us that we had to go after him. We had to follow right. Nat. Always, man. Always. <laughs> that's, his, that's his MO right there. He's earned that, though. That man has earned that. <laughs> well, we start with Nat Moore first. We go to Seth second. OJ third. Batting third in the lineup tonight, OJ. I don't know how you feel that's about okay. that. That's, but... a, that's where the best hitters bat. Clean up. Best yeah, hitters exactly bat. Right. Now, right before clean up, you're going to get it. You're going to get up the bat in the first inning no matter what. That's all that matters, Travis. Hey, you know? The analytics say you got to get that guy batting third so he can get more bats in the game. But hey, well, that's, that's a talk for another day. Um, we had Nat Moore on this podcast talking about the 1977 55-14 drub of the St. Louis Cardinals, and it's a perfect way to segue to our crossover here between Drive Time and the Fish Tank because a big crux of that podcast was him talking about a certain Conrad Dobler, who I went and researched this guy because I didn't know much about him being a a younger fan, and I read some articles about him being one of the dirtier players of all time in the history of the league, and you guys just had A.J. Dewey, and I've been pronouncing that wrong my entire life, by the way, Seth. Me too. Me too, by the way. (laughs) A.J. Dewey talking about some trash talk between he and Conrad Dobler in that game. And apparently AJ started that entire thing, the 23 man brawl that day on Thanksgiving. Yeah. uh, Well, that's exactly what happened. Now, listen, by the way, Travis loves to remind us that we're the old guard (laughs) juice, you know, we're we're the old guys and he's constantly, we're not that friggin' old that we watch this game. Okay. I mean, I think I was four when this happened. So I had to read about it. I could have watched it, but I wasn't a dolphin. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not not until we got your mind right, Juice. That's right. That's right. So, but, but in researching AJ, so AJ was drafted in 1977. It was his rookie year. He came out of the gate like gangbusters as he discusses uh, on the podcast and eventually went on to win NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. But in this game, it's Thanksgiving, so he's been playing great all year, and A.J. was feeling pretty good about himself. And A.J. said, Juice, didn't he tell us? He said he was the original NFL trash talker. He said, that's exactly, those are the exact words. Yeah. And I I believe it. (laughs) Well, he definitely can talk. We know he can talk. It sounds like he can talk some trash. And he apparently was giving it pretty good to Conrad Dobler, and Dobler was drawn back at him, and things started to get chippy. And Coach Shula, being the legend that he is, and also the guy that, you know, everything was by the book and by the rules, realized what was going on in the field, and he yanked AJ. He pulled one of his best defensive players off the field and, you know, and tried to cool the young guy down. But uh, he sent in uh, – who did he say? Pursuit? The guy's last name was Pursuit. Yeah, as a, a guard or something. Uh, he was an offensive lineman. Offensive lineman. But they threw him back in uh, to go take AJ's place. <laughs> and he was, I guess, looking for some action and started a shit show. And next thing you know, it was the brawl that you talked about. But AJ said he stayed on the sidelines. So he started everything, threw the gasoline on the fire – and and apparently ran the other way. So right. when the fines were being dished out the next day and Shula was completely humiliated and embarrassed, which how about those fines, Juice? For 250 bucks, you'd have dropped somebody on the field, wouldn't you? For two Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's big right there, man. That was the big fine was $250. 250 Some bucks, guys were getting 175 Yeah, maybe it was it was trickle down. It was t- yeah, it was nothing. <laughs> they they send the goons onto the field. The it's like it's like What's in that? hockey, it's like in hockey when they send the goon onto the ice to go take care of the problem for you, right? Right. Exactly. And so then at the end of it, it was it was the most fines ever issued in an NFL game. And then as they named every name, they never called AJ's name because he never left the sidelines. <laughs> and apparently Larry Little was like, well, what the hell? You know, two A started all of this and he didn't get fined. So so that's what we learned. You know, forget about the fact that Bob Greasy threw six touchdown passes. Yeah. Right. What we learned was about this brawl 
and who started it because we like to know what the real story is. And it's the real story. Well, that's, that's what's funny about having that on the podcast was he even said himself, like, that's a moment that can galvanize a team. And yeah, it's not the best way to do it, but it does have this kind of camaraderie building moment where, you know, having your brother's backs out there can bring you all together. And so that's where I want to turn to you here, OJ. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I'm asking you this blind. Do you have any moments where, whether it was college, professional, high school, whatever it might have been, where things got kind of uh, chippy out there for you? Yeah, On the basketball games, court. I know you yeah, had yeah, basketball know court for sure, <laughs> or, or nightclub maybe on occasion. Um, but definitely not. You know, in, in football, mostly I haven't had any games, which I wish I would have seen some. But for me personally, I try to stay in the back, find me a little DB, maybe even hunt up the punter, <laughs> or the kicker. You know what I mean? And that's the guy I'm trying to go after in, in those situations. You know, I know when we had it in practice. You know, we, we've had Larry Izzo on talking about against the Redskins or, you know, I think we've had a couple of fights against Tampa Bay, you know, during training camp. It, yeah. it happens that way. But for, for wide receivers, we are divas, Travis. I think we've talked about this yeah. before, man. We don't fight. We just talk a lot. You know what I mean? We just talk a lot and let the big guys handle all the fights, you know. Uh, but there's been some, some, some good ones. There's been some really, really good ones, man, uh, in training camp or against the teams that we're about to play against. It's like the worst thing that happens with us or kind of the best thing is like when you're playing in the preseason and you work against a team for like two or three days before that and you play them in that preseason game those two or three days before that there's probably a fight every day or if it's a two a day there might be one every practice and, th- and those are the best but usually it's the big guys little guys don't get involved in that stuff man but it's always fun to sit back and watch these the little the big guys go at it and even more important is to watch who gets in and who stays out of it you know, we've had a couple guys that we didn't like on our team. We let them get beat up for a little bit. And then I'll let the guys <laughs> jump in. So, you know, that's part of it too. That reminds me of the replacements when they uh, when they don't block. Or no, is it is it the longest yard when they don't block for Adam Sandler on the offensive line? Just let him right. get destroyed for a couple of plays. <laughs> Same idea. But you, it's funny, Juice. You mentioned that. Like, obviously, you're a smart player because we've seen players nowadays. They'll throw the fist at the face mask, and as a receiver, like that's your money maker, right? Why you yeah. why you trying to mess up your hands? Yeah, never that. You know, you can never do that. We can wrestle all you want. You know what I mean? But we can't throw. We can't throw blows. I can't throw these hands, man. Because think about it, I me. Mean, I've got. I've got a broken finger now, and I'd be. I might be on the the injured list this week if I was still playing football. You know. Uh, but you, you know what they played, tell me, man. Don't they tell had buddy, me. Yeah. buddy, tape them up and let's go to go to work. You know me, big Seth. And I just you catch everything with my body at that point. That's yeah. it. Yeah, you're That's adaptable. It. You're amenable to the situation. I used to I used to deal poker at a casino way back, you know, about ten years ago. Way back, I know. Uh, he didn't tell you that when he played in the yeah, Sheridan yeah, poker. Right, yeah. right. Taking mm-hmm. third place in the in the JT Foundation tournament. But I, I used to deal poker and we had a, a local arena team there, and a bunch of those kids on the arena team came from uh, from from colleges down here in South Florida. And so a couple of those guys were on the F, FAU or, or Florida International. I forget the one that had F-I, the big brawl with Miami. F-I-U-M. FIU and UM. FIU, yeah. yeah. The, a bunch of the kids that were on the team would always come in and play our, our you know, our 3-6 poker games. And they told me about that story firsthand. I was like, man, that's what a, what a cool moment. Never thought I was going to hear that story here dealing poker in, in Kennewick, Washington, of all places. So it's <laughs> that is crazy that it, it made its way up there. I know it's it's cool. They, those guys all hung out together. It was a you know like a class three arena football league. So they kind of just banded together and did their own thing. And I guess one of those things was playing cards at the casino. But uh, uh, getting back <laughs> on track here, Seth, I wanted to ask you because Nat mentioned. There was a writer for the Sun Tatler, and again, this predates the Sun me. I'm not, Tatler is going back. Now. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not I, that old either. <laughs> by the way, I love this theme, but <laughs> he tells me about it, and I guess 
the, the first writer into the locker room after the game was the same writer who wrote a disparaging article saying that the Cardinals or the Dolphins are going to be the Cardinals Thanksgiving dinner tonight in this game. Right. And they had the writer come into the room first and Bob Kuchenberg. And tell me if this is a true story, if this is not real, if this is something you even can do. He grabs the, the writer, takes him into the shower, throws him in there and turns the water on like I heard that in, in 2020, my mind was blown because, and even in, in, as a PR guy in the 90s, Seth, that would have been a shitstorm for you, right? For sure. Yeah, it would have been at that point in time. You know, is it true? Was it? I, I wouldn't put anything past anybody at that point in time in, in this league. And if Nat's telling you it happened, then it probably happened pretty close to that. Um, you know, we did have Jason Cole in the tank, and he talked about in 95 where he had written something that Gene Atkins didn't, didn't take kindly to. And a naked Gene Atkins came streaking across the <laughs> literally uh, across the uh, the locker room and knocked Jason on his behind. So he had um, his head up though, Seth. He had his head up. <laughs> form, form well, good. I mean, safety first for sure. But the the point being is, you know, certainly the one thing you try to do is you as a PR person is proactively get ahead of. Uh, let me take a step back. In college, I learned as a PR guy, you want to be a fire preventer, not a fire fighter. If you're having to fight the fire, it might be too late sure. at that point. So if you can anticipate that the, that the guys are not happy about a particular writer, then you might want to try and get out ahead of that as much as you can. There's certain things you can't control. And truth be told, I don't know who the PR guy was at the time, but you know, if Tim Bowens was pissed at somebody and was going to put somebody in the shower juice, I probably wasn't going to be able to stop him. And nah. I might have been able to talk him off the ledge, maybe. But physically, that writer is on his own at that point. Timbo was going to do what he was going to do. And I imagine Kuchenberg, same thing. You know, no PR guy was going to be able to stop Bob at that point. But absolutely, it would have been a shitstorm. I mean, <laughs> and, and there are, um, uh, understandably so, there are rules that protect these writers. There are fines that the league would do to protect. Clearly, they had dished out enough fines. Maybe somebody just felt for the extra 250, they they're going to put the guy in the shower. I don't know. But it is a pretty wild story. I wonder what, what the guy could have written that would piss him off that badly, as much as Kuchenberg was, was not afraid to to throw some shots <laughs> at, at Dolphin teams in, in later years. But it is interesting when you talk about galvanizing a team, Travis, because when I went back and looked at it, because, you know, and, and AJ talked the same thing. They did. They felt disrespected and everyone thought the Dolphins were going to get their butts kicked. The Dolphins were seven and three going into this game, as was Arizona, or, uh, was it Arizona, St. Louis. I don't St. even remember. As were the Cardinals. Yeah. The Cardinals <laughs> were seven and three and the Dolphins were seven and three. So I was like, well, why were they so disrespected? But I guess post glory days of the 70s the Dolphins had a couple years where they had struggled and they were starting to come back now and the Dolphins went on to win the rest of their games that season didn't they and the and, and the Cardinals lost every other game after that and finished 500 so it is one of those moments where where clearly the team was heading in a different direction and maybe they did band together Juice yeah I mean it happens man that's what I mean fights fights have been banging together I gotta talk about man uh, it's more about who gets involved, who doesn't get involved. So it's, it behooves you to get involved in some way or another, you know. And I think uh, it's the, the, the number of guys that got involved and got fined and at that, that Shula meeting afterwards announcing the fines, you know, AJ is a star player. Don't be somebody that's on the periphery that's not a, one of the big-time players that are, are sitting out there watching the fight. You got to get involved. And you hope the guys that make the most money – We'll handle that fine for you. So that's 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 the game plan. You got to have some guys like that. Like Chad was talking about the goon. Some of the, the goons are your, <laughs> your special teams guys, third stringers that got to go in there and take some of the licks, you know. And I think that's how the team handled it, and it did galvanize them. It seems like. 
you game plan offensively, defensively, and for the possible 12 rounds you might do on the field Damn in between right. all Damn of it, too. So that's, that's good <laughs> to hear. And, and Seth, you mentioned you were curious what it might have been that set Bob Kuchenberg off. Nat actually told us in the podcast, he said that they listed all these star players the Cardinals had and said the Dolphins were bereft of star talent besides Don Shula. And Nat said, that's bullshit, man. We've got Jim Langer. We've got uh, Dwight Stevenson. We've got Bob Greasy on this team, all these different Hall of Famers and guys that would end up in the Hall of Fame that are on this team and didn't really take too kindly to that. And it kind of brings me back to a, another fish tank theme that you guys often have that I find kind of fascinating. Again, the, the age thing. Nowadays, it's it's the media is outside noise. We don't really confront it. We don't even acknowledge it for the most part. But a lot of times on your guys' podcast, people say, like, you know, even Shula. I read that in the paper. What the hell were you talking about? And he was upfront and confrontational about it. Like, when did that shift happen? And I don't know who can answer that better, but when did that shift happen where it was like media is going to be very prevalent in our minds to where now it's like it's just outside noise? You want to take a juice or you want me to handle this? You got it, Seth. But I think a lot of it, I mean, real quick, I think a lot of it boils down to, you know, with social media as, as part of it as well, you know, where these guys, you know, everything you do now is, is so scrutinized and under such a microscope, whereas a lot of things that happened in our locker room, especially back then, you know, it stayed in-house for the most part. I mean, I don't even know if, if you don't have, like, all the cameras rolling and all the people reporting like they do and in instant reporting – you know, I think Sefnam did a good job of squashing a lot of things that might have happened in our locker room because there were a lot of fights that never got out. There are a lot of arguments that never got out. There are a lot of things that happened on the field that never got out. Uh, that's because there was not the, the, the cameras and the, and the social media and Twitter and all this other stuff that would have had it out there immediately. You know, so, I mean, I don't know, Seth. What, what's your take on all that? I, so, you know, not to bore the listeners, but I think there's two different conversations here. And, and to Travis's question, when did that shift happen? I don't know that it ever really happened. I think that guys like to say that they don't read the papers or listen to the outside noise because you almost have to uh, that self-manifestation. Right. Juice, you have to tell yourself that those things aren't going to shift your focus from what's really important. But guys read it, man. Guys, you know, guys, coaches read it. I mean, some people stay away from it or some people can handle it, but there's others that can't handle it and they read it and they get fired up. And then you also have the guys that are looking for something to give them an edge. You know, everybody's competitive. Everybody's talented. Everybody's getting paid as a professional. It's the best of the best. So what can give me that little edge? I'm constantly looking for something to motivate me. So there's guys who want to find somebody saying something badly about them. And if they can find that one little thing, but then they're going to come out and say, well, we don't listen to the noise. They listen to it. So many of the guys do. I think the guys now listen to it. How can you not? There's so much out there more than there's ever been. Maybe I should change my approach and the way I write and podcast and just go out and challenge everybody so we can get the best out of every single player on the field on Sundays. If you yeah. weren't collecting a check from yeah. the same team that you're trying to motivate, I might say that could work. Maybe it's but, more but of a it, thing. it does happen. And then to Juice's point, as far as what would get out or the way things get out, I will say that uh, certainly when in 77 and, and even in the time when I was in PR, the big shift, social media has changed things. And this is interesting, Travis, because you're, you know, you have risen to, to prominence in, in your field through social media and through podcasting and through new media. And and unfortunately, I think there is oftentimes a race to be first as opposed to a race to be accurate. Yeah. And so there were times where, you know, you were taught in journalism school, you had to check your sources and have three sources and verify, and you had had to print retra retractions. 
Now, if you get something wrong, you can delete a tweet or you can go back and change it on the online story. And so the repercussions aren't the same. And everybody just wants to say that they were first, that they had it first, that somehow that's a badge of honor, yeah. as opposed to the guy that consistently can get the accurate information. So I think that's the big shift that OJ was talking about. And so it was a little easier to prevent things from getting too far out of hand because a guy would have a, a, a a reporter that was responsible would have to come and talk to you and say, look, I've heard this. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to answer about it? And you can have a conversation with a guy because he wasn't worried about someone else going to tweet it out. And th those are my favorite stories in the fish tank podcast is that interaction between different levels of the football operation, whether it's PR player equipment staff, people in the, in the media, all these different people working towards one industry goal, I suppose, coming together and these different stories you guys get out of that is so much fun to me. And I think it's a good way to transition into your next podcast in the fish tank because you have a guy who was a player who did the transition into media. And man, I can't wait for this podcast because Seth, you've been telling me a little bit about it. And and one of my favorite players in terms of his on-field production, but also what he kind of stands for now in his post-playing career. Who's, who's coming up next on the fish tank, guys? Well, you know, Juice doesn't let us go too many episodes without pulling another wide out into the room. So, uh, but we got a big one, uh, literally a big fish, and it's Brandon Marshall. And, and so Brandon was only here for a couple years in Miami. But if you look at this man's career, what he accomplished on the field is unbelievable with statistically. Uh, but to your point, Brandon went through a lot of difficult times in his life on the field and off the field and, and made efforts to self-correct and to learn about himself. And, and it was really fascinating to have him in the tank. And we spent more time talking about mental health and um, individuals in the Dolphins locker room, which was what I thought was most fascinating, Juice, was, was it was here in Miami that he kind of had this epiphany and really um, took the bull by the horns and tried to tried tried to make changes in his life that, right. that to this day motivate him both um, in the for-profit side and the non-profit side. So it was a phenomenal interview. Brandon's raw, Brandon's so bright um, and, and clearly very talented as a broadcaster. So we're really excited about this Tuesday's episode. Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun talking to for one of wide receivers you talked about, man, and to see the <laughs> journey that he went on and, how, and where he's at right now and how it all started off. Uh, it was it was just outstanding, man. And some of the influencers that he had in his life, you know, to get him on that right track, some guys that, you know, we've, we've talked about in the tank or had in the tank, and, uh, you know, how he had to look in the mirror. There's a lot of times there are guys that are always looking at the other guys, but he, he realized he had to look in the mirror to figure out what was going on. And, and it's, a, it's, it's a big it's a big episode for us in terms of what we talked about. Because very – I mean, there were some X and O's that we, which we rarely get into – but really some really life lessons and, and more about life that we got into that was just outstanding in this episode. That was going to be my, my next question to you, Juice, because Seth had mentioned that, you know, Brandon had raised the concern about, I've got this opportunity for a one-on-one -on -one matchup here, and they're not going to me. They're looking at the other side of the field. Like, did you guys kind of have a bonding moment over that at all on the podcast? Yeah, you know what? I told Danny all the time, man. Danny, I came back to the huddle all the time, man. I said, what are you looking at? The hell are you looking at, man? You know what I mean? I don't care where the play is designed. Always got to look eight ones way first, and then we figure out the rest. You know what I mean? No. See, Brandon was a, just a different animal, as you know, man. Anytime he's got any he's, – he's bigger than anybody's going to guard him in the first place, you know? And so for the opportunities that were left out there on the field, when he's got these one-on-ones, I understand exactly where he's coming from. And, you know, he even talks about a little bit, why'd you bring me here? That's a question. That, that's a big question. And, and me being the fan that I am, and I'm sure the fan that both of you guys are, 
you know, why did we bring him here if we're not going to take advantage of those situations? So, yeah, those one-on-ones that we left out there on the field, man, it's, it was a great talking point. And Brandon was right about that stuff, man. It's just the way he handled it is probably something he'd want to change. Right, for sure. And the other thing, Travis, and, and we won't reveal the answer, but we get down – to the nitty gritty of who has better hands, OJ McDuffie <laughs> or Brandon Marshall. What a perfect. And one of the guys teaser. actually says it's the other, and so we'll have to listen to the episode. Hey, there you go. That's that's the deciding factor right a there. Horrible oh, podcast tease. A perfect <laughs> teaser into next Tuesday. That episode of the Fish Tank will be out. We got Seth Levitt, OJ McDuffie, fellows. As always, a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. Here, Travis. Thanks, man. And away they go. Always a fun time on the crossover edition here of the Drive Time Podcast with the guys from the Fish Tank Podcast. As for today's time, that's going to be my time. Long episode here. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.